Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hi everyone, this is Chris Barrow from the Naked Gaming Podcast team. And we've put together another bonus episode for you about a story that's given people lots of joy. Uh, that's a study that's found that pigs can play video games. But there's more to the research than that. The lead author of the study is Candace C. Crony, Professor of Animal Behaviour and Wellbeing and Director of the Centre for Animal Welfare Science at Purdue University. She started off by telling me how she got into this area of research. Well, so I have always been fascinated by what animals do and why they do what they do and also how um, it relates to how we interact with them. Um, So I've been interested in animal behavior probably ever since I was a child, Um, growing up with with companion animals in the home and, um, you know, living in the Caribbean, which is where I was originally born and, and grew up um, for the first few years of life, we there were so many fascinating animals around me that I always wanted to better understand why they behaved in the ways they did. And I was always trying to find ways to communicate with them um, yeah. and, and quite frustrated about it, right? So the interest in this kind of thing goes way back for me. And take us on to the beginnings of this study, because it's not just something that's come about in the last few weeks or years, although you might believe that if you read some of the the press around it. But take us back to the the beginnings of the research that led up to this point. Right. So so this um, research began way back in the late 1990s. And my... um, major advisor and research mentor at the time had worked with pigs and he'd always had this idea that pigs were really intelligent animals. He was from a farm background and he anecdotally had the same information that many farmers um, do, which is that pigs are very intelligent um, based on on behaviors people had observed. And I can remember conversations where he was trying to get at if there were a way to have some sort of mechanism to understand how cognitively complex pigs are, um, and given the conversations at that point in time that are still ongoing today about the welfare of these animals, wouldn't it be cool to be able to explore whether or not pigs could do some sort of task that only animals that, that people consider to be mentally sophisticated, intelligent, if you will, um, could perform, right? And so he connected with researchers who'd been involved with um, 
the kind of research that we're talking about today around exploring cognition um, with non-human primates and the methodologies that had been developed then, including for really interesting purposes like um, the NASA Language Research Center um, group that was exploring really uh, the psychology um, and comparative psychology um, and biology of animals that would be potentially useful to better understanding human responses to anti-gravity in space and so on, right? And so the tasks that we're using actually became um, the foundational training task for that kind of work with non-human primates. Ah, how interesting. So so it connects into different fields, as it were. Um, and I just want to go back to... Um, because you mentioned that you know farmers know that pigs are intelligent and they sort of display it. For someone who isn't a farmer and who hasn't been around pigs that much, apart from maybe going to the farm as a kid and you know going, oh look, the pigs. What kind of behaviours were they displaying that made researchers think we need to try and design a task here that will prove that they have a level of intelligence? Right. Well, I think it's um for for some farmers they'll. Pigs are really clever at figuring out how to get around things, how to get around obstacles, how to um, use their natural behaviors to really root um, and, um, you know, find objects, find ways around objects that we don't necessarily want them to navigate around because that's not useful for people. We have all of this like long history of pigs working um, with people to find truffles, right? Um, So there's all of this kind of, oh, yeah, pigs can do um, many sort of cool things. I mean, there are people who had uh, even very early on, um, early 1900s and um, throughout like the 1960s and so on, had shown that pigs could do different types of operant learning. So they could respond to commands, they could do problem solving and so on. Um, And yes, people who are working with them on farms who have the um, sometimes unenviable task of having to move pigs from point A to point B, oftentimes can really see that that there are pigs who will suss out what's being asked and demonstrate a form of agency and do their own thing, right? Wow. Um, (laughs) Sometimes sometimes outfoxing the person who's um, involved, unless they've got all the right equipment, they're very skilled at what they're doing. So this is, yeah, the fact that pigs have the ability to, to respond intelligently is not new to farmers. Now, you're obviously trying to therefore find the difference between uh, what someone would call like a Pavlovian response. So the bell rings and the pig goes, oh, it's time for dinner. And that becomes a kind of learned behaviour and actually demonstrating that uh, pigs in this case can actually uh, perform more complicated tasks. I guess that was one of the, the struggles with designing the task itself. Yes. So, you know, there's a difference between learning a fairly simple association that then becomes the foundation for what we refer to as operant learning or operant conditioning, right? Which is the idea that um, an animal can make the the very simple connection between um, what they're being asked to do. So let's say, for instance, um, a, a basic command, like a sit command, if they do that behavior, they get a reward, right? That's that's fairly simple um, associative learning. We we know many animals can do that. Um, press a button and a treat drops down. Simple associative yeah. learning, right? So yes, we we've known for many years that um, many animals can do that, including pigs. What we were trying to do is 
get to the heart of, could they do basically conceptual learning, right? And while we use computers constantly and take for granted what it takes in order to be able to understand what you're actually doing when you do a task like that, this is where it becomes remarkable that a pig can show any ability to perform the task that we ask them to, because they're not just manipulating a joystick in order to get a reward, right? They have to make the connection that that joystick is operating an object that's not even a real object that's generated on a screen. They can't interact with that object at all. They can't smell it, which is how they normally interact with objects in the real world. They can't touch it. They can't do anything with it, but control its movement using the tool that they are operating on, right? And so to make that conceptual leap, to jump the sort of mental hurdle that the thing they're operating on is actually controlling something else that is different in place and also slightly different in time is a huge mental shift for an animal to be able to make. And you can't teach it. That's the interesting thing right? They actually have to figure it out. And that's what the pigs are, are telling us. And that's what's new and different, right? It's not, it's not just, can they move a joystick and ding, hear a sound and get a reward? It's, can they make that mental leap that the thing they're acting on is having its effect someplace else in space? So that's actually a whole extra step in the process. And like you say, if you can't teach that, there is Therefore, would you class that as like a, a slightly higher form of intelligence? Does that does that mark pigs out differently to lots of other animals? Yeah. So that what you're talking about there is conceptual learning as opposed to stimulus response learning, right? Which is what we're we're typically getting when we're training animals to do even some complicated behavioral chains where, in essence, the behavior they perform just gets them a reward. You have to think this through. You have to make the connection between the thing that you're working on and the thing that's actually being impacted, right? And that's a different level of agency, if you will. It's a different level of conception um, because, again you have to have that moment of insight where you make the connection between the behavior and the thing that is actually being impacted because it's not the thing that you're directly operating on. Yeah, no, I understand that. And so so when it came to then uh, designing what you were going to try to use to test the pigs, what, was video gaming an obvious choice because that inherently involves controlling another object which you can then design to to release rewards once you've got past that extra step, that extra level of understanding. Right. So here comes the, the crux of the question, because clearly, based on what we found, this isn't the ideal medium for, for a pig to be tested on. But I think to, to give you some of the fun backstory, there were conversations that I can remember in the lab where it's sort of like, how do you demonstrate that an animal is intelligent in a way that really matters to people? Um, and, and we would come up with two things at that point in time. It's, um, can they, can they speak? Um, and the answer is, well, um, uh, if if they're parrots, yes, <laughs> um, and and if they're really uh, um, you know sophisticated uh, non-human primates um, using a computer interface, then yeah, kind of. Um, and then the other one was, well, okay, so maybe if they could use computers, that would do it, right? So I, I'm sure. sure there was some of that sort of humor built into the the thought process, but it was really more 
For so many cognitive studies, there's always the question of what is the effect of the observer on the animal? And to what degree are we, as the experimenters, influencing what the animals are actually doing, right? The yeah. beauty of using the computer interface is the computer doesn't care. It's a disinterested third party, if you will. <laughs> so the animal's response is either correct or it's incorrect. And there's no sure. way to go in and manipulate that, right? And so it was, especially for this kind of work, particularly important that we use an interface where we would remove concern that it was really an observer effect um, or bias that was showing up in the data rather than what the animals themselves were doing. You, you come up with, um, I suppose, a design that they can play, and it, I suppose it must be quite fun in the sense that they're playing video games just from a... That, I think that's what's captured a lot of people's imaginations, obviously, as a gaming podcast. You know, that was the first thing that jumped out to me. Hang on a second, is this pig going to eventually beat me at Pac-Man or whatever? Um, so the game itself, can you just talk us through what's involved um, when you were doing the actual research? Because there's a joystick involved, there's a screen involved, and I believe it's multiple choice puzzles. So, yeah, let's take a step back. So this is, um, so this, as I mentioned earlier, is, is the primary training task um, intended for non-human primates that were intended to um, generate data that would help inform um, some of the work that was needed for NASA at the time, right? So yeah. this task... Um, is a very, very simple one. In essence, the computer generates four blue borders around the, um, the computer monitor. Um, there's a cursor in the middle of the screen, and the task starts off being very, very simple. All the animal has to do to succeed is hold that joystick down, make sure it's attending to that cursor on screen, which is, again, another sort of mental leap that the animals have to make, right? Um, yeah. So they've got to attend to the task fairly um, closely. So if they move that cursor in any direction in a concerted manner um, so that they contact one of those screens and they do that repeatedly, what what happens is they hear a sound that indicates they've contacted a target um, a reward drops, the color of the cursor changes, and then the computer refreshes and they get um, the same task all over again, right? So if they, regardless as to which direction they move, um, whether it's up, down, left, or right, if they do that consistently and hit a target wall, the computer then titrates the task so it becomes more difficult. So then one of those potential um, sides, which is why it's called the side task, disappears and the computer randomly generates which side is now missing, right? And so if an animal is just randomly messing around with the joystick, um, the odds that they're going to hit a side that isn't a target anymore um, is at the three-sided task, 75% um, chance that they're going to make a correct response, right? If they are consistently responding with, you know, several trials in a row where they are not making errors and hitting the side that no longer um, is an actual target for them, then the computer, the computer makes the task even more difficult. So then that three-sided option becomes a two-sided option, right? I and see, so now the likelihood that they're being successful just by chance, right, is now only 50%. 
And so if they hit one of those targets that's no longer a target, again, it's an error. The computer counts that and sort of sets them back if they make errors repeatedly. And if they continue to do well, then the task becomes even harder and it becomes a one-sided task. And wait, can I just, just, for, just so I can visualise it, so does that mean essentially if I had a, you know, an old-school um, controller which had up, down, left and right, essentially the pig is, is bite, or biting or using its snout or however to move the, the joystick, let's say, that, that you've got in this case, and there's four options, up, down, left, right, essentially, and it, if the pig gets a correct response, then you take away, let's say, right, and then the pig hits the correct target next, and then you take away left, so there's only two options that are correct. Is that, is that right? Am I visualising it correctly? Yes. Okay, so once it gets to the hardest point, then, I'm assuming that there's one target that they have to, to sort of correctly identify, and they're trying to hit the blue square, are they? They're trying to actually move, move the stick in the correct direction of the blue square, square or they're trying to get it into the spaces that are being left. So they're trying to hit that one blue square that's left, right? Um, And then if they do that repeatedly, that one blue square becomes a progressively smaller blue box, right? Oh, I've got you. I understand it. And then at the hardest level of that phase of the task, that blue box then moves around the screen. And so what they're trying to do is get that cursor to hit that what is now a floating blue box, right? So that requires dexterity, um, really good um, hand-eye coordination, and good vision. And it also requires a lot of attention um, at that point. Now, I'm glad you said hand-eye coordination, because I've got to ask, how do they actually move the joystick? Is it snout, mouth, trotters? What's the way of actually controlling the, the joystick? Yeah, the answer is all of the above. Um, oh, right. <laughs> the, the primary way for the farm pigs was really to nose the joystick up and down, right? So doing very sort of um, natural um, rooting behaviors that, that are typical for pigs. So they would literally try to root the joystick up or root it down. And sometimes they'd actually get their mouths around the little gear shift knob that we gave to have them have a little bit more traction and they try to hold it down and nudge, nudge, nudge until they hit the correct target. Wow. Okay. And uh, let's just go on to the way that the study was carried out here because um, there's four pigs involved. Yes. They all have great names. (laughs) A a little more backstory. There are actually many more pigs involved um, as we went through the early stages. And yes, they all had interesting names and we had to stop naming them that way to um, avoid alarming people. (laughs) This is a legitimate study, everybody, can I just say? (laughs) Well, because one that I read about on on this sort of the cut down version of the articles is like Hamlet and you know stuff like and the old like bit, yes i know so i like i like that i suppose people just love a cute animal name to get them into to being actually genuinely interested about the research well and, and we did too right because in order for the pigs to do this kind of work we really had to work with them they weren't they weren't subjects to us they really were individual animals they one of the things we learned that's sort of lovely is they all have individual personalities and also individual abilities to do the task right um, yeah. And so it was really important for us to give them names. Yes, some of us have a, a quirky sense of humor um, about it. And but it really it, it helped us to really look at them as individuals and work with them at the pace they needed to work with to do the job. So how did they get on? I'm assuming that, um, you know, as the study progressed, that there were fewer and fewer pigs involved as you got ones that perhaps were demonstrating an ability to use this uh, this game. 
Yeah. So this goes back to what I said before, right? Because they all have these sort of individual personalities and, and abilities um, to learn. It's you eventually get down to the subjects that give you what's really most useful, which is an ability to attend to the task, motivation to do the task, because frequently we'd have pigs just sort of go into the test equipment, even when we didn't have a, a training session scheduled with them. Um, and and that really is useful, right? Because there was nothing we were going to do in order to show this type of learning that would involve anything punitive or, or forcing the pigs to work on the task itself. That really would not have helped um, their learning process. And so, yeah. yeah, we were selecting along the way for the animals that showed the most promise in terms of motivation to do the work, um, attention to the task at hand, um, you know, they can, individuals can get frustrated if things are not going well for them, they're not getting enough rewards. So you also wanted pigs that had enough of a temperament that they really could be persistent, right? So yeah, that's how we ended up with the with the four that we did. So actually, these pigs are really distinguishing themselves from their uh, fellow pigs and actually showing that they do like like playing video games in a sense because they're obviously coming back to it uh, and and seemingly enjoying it would you say yeah i think i i think so being really objective about it um the fact that the pigs would actually try to do the task even when there wasn't a session and then they'd figure out no nothing was happening and then they they they'd come out some of them would stay um and and basically sort of insist we turn the computer on in ways they can do that <laughs> um and and you know as a researcher you always want to take advantage of any opportunity to collect additional data if you can so there yeah. were times where they initiated training sessions um and so when they were doing the task, right, because number one, they were volunteering quite often to do it. And when they were doing the task itself, there did seem to be something that was probably inherently rewarding about doing it. Um, I don't know what that thing is. Um, I do suspect that because they were getting all of the wonderful sort of social interactions as well as the food rewards, because of course they're food motivated, um, yeah. But I think one of the things our pig showed is that they were very sort of socially motivated as well. And so it may be that the social interactions they were getting, if nothing else, even if I was across the room while they were training and verbally praising them um, and periodically checking in and, and reaching through and petting them, um, it, it did seem like they really enjoyed doing the doing the task. And then um, attending to the, the, the task itself seems somewhat rewarding to them. Can you tell me about that uh, social interaction? Because um, it sounds like it's... Because I'm imagining at the moment that the pigs are playing the game solo. Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, uh, the way the way the software and everything was set up, um, at least for this part of the task, they were working independently. Um, and, you know, again, what we're asking them to do here is work that is really outside of the realm of their natural existence, right? So we wanted to set up conditions where, to a degree, the work itself became enriching to them and, and sort of mentally stimulating to them. And we wanted it to also not be distressful to them in any way um, to do that kind of work. And to be perfectly honest, I wanted them to have as positive of an experience as possible, right? Because 
doing new challenging um, tasks that are cognitively challenging um, actually demands a lot of energy from an, an individual. And so if we were going to ask them to do this hard work, we wanted it to be under the circumstances that were least distressful and frankly, most positive yeah, for them. Yeah. No, I understand that completely. And so when one pig was essentially, you know, playing the video game, were the others around or would they sort of go out and then come in when it was their turn sort of thing? Yeah, the, um, we we used to have uh, a situation where the, the pigs were allowed free time. They'd just run around the test room because um, they all got on um, well together because they were kept in pairs together. We actually had to start sequestering pigs but when it wasn't their turn to work and there was a trial session going on or a training session going on um, because they would actually try to get in there at the same time um, and, <laughs> and disrupt each other. <laughs> and it, again, it wasn't a joint task, right? They weren't, they no, weren't sure. video consoling against each other. So that was yeah, not helpful. Yeah. That sounds like uh, me and my brothers when I was growing up, to be honest with you. It's it's my turn now kind of thing. But, it, but you know, all kind of like joking aside with this, it does sound like there's a, there's a genuinely quite big um, finding here, which is that it sounds like not only can pigs actually demonstrate uh, that they have that kind of conceptual understanding, um, but they have it and they seem to want to do it as well. Yes, and that that's what was fairly um interesting and novel, right? Because you know, there'd been a, a video that actually the BBC produced um in the very early stages of this work where someone had put a dog on the task and you can truly see the difference between um this poor dog that's totally set up to fail for demo purposes <laughs> who yeah. is manipulating the joystick but clearly has no idea about what the task really entails, which is not just moving the joystick, right? Um, And so it it was really interesting to watch what was happening with these animals because they would all have this moment where you could see the difference between I'm doing trial and error learning to figure out what it is gets me the reward versus, aha, I've now made the connection, right? And there were several pigs that never could do that Um, And what was really interesting to come out of this is not that every pig is able to do this task. It is that the pig as a species has the capacity um, to make that sort of mental leap to intuit that what they are doing is having an effect someplace else on something else entirely. It's amazing, really, to think that because we all, you know, look at animals that there's, you know, People grow up with dogs, I suppose, and cats very predominantly. And you almost want to believe that they can understand something more than just the commands that you're giving them. But it sounds like actually pigs may be able to, that this research has shown that actually they might be cleverer than a lot of people, perhaps apart from farmers, uh, realise that they are. Well, yes. And, And what's, you know, to put it in even more salient context for many people, if you are a pig out in the world, you will never be rooting around at the ground to find a truffle and have that truffle be appearing out of the sky because something else is operating truffle delivery and your behavior <laughs> is actually the thing that initiates that behavior, right? Wow. It would be yeah, no different true. from a pig deducing that if I do this particular behavior, 
I am literally having another individual control. I'm controlling that other individual's actions that gets me the thing that I want to get, right? That's the level of cognitive leap they're making. Um, and while we didn't use that sort of context in terms of um, can the pig understand that what it's doing here might literally be able to um, manipulate some other individual's behavior, it's no short leap that if they can do this with a computer task, they could potentially do that other task as well. And that is not simple operant responding or simple learning at all. No, that sounds either like morality or manipulation, that pigs could, in in a way, perhaps manipulate other members of their own species to get a result that they want in, in some form or other. Potentially. And actually, in the interim, while we were doing this work and, and frankly, having difficulty getting it out, um, you know, other people were starting to develop some really nice research paradigms that show that, you know, pigs could do certain behaviors where they, um, you know, could utilize other pigs in order to get information or even to withhold information from others. Right. And so um, it, it's really some nice insight into the unique abilities of these animals that we may not appreciate on their own, particularly if the relationship we have with them is, um, you know, a, a utilitarian one where we, we're using them for some other purpose, right? They're, they're unique in and of themselves. And some of this research is giving us insight into one, how unique they are, but two, how not different they may be from some of the other species that we have studied more and understand a little bit more. So I guess that's your uh, one of your hopes uh, from this study is that actually people may now want to find out even more about their their capabilities and to perhaps view them in a different light. Yeah, I mean, how how cool would it be to be able to have people appreciate the animals for what they themselves are about and then begin to think about, well, what do we do with this information, right? Um, certainly, we don't do these things just because they're fun to do. Some of what we did we and found we weren't expecting to find. Um, and as a researcher, I'll tell you, it, it raised some major ethical questions for me. And that includes, for instance, the question that several people have um, asked about, which I love, which is, well, what happened to the pigs at the end of the study? Well, for me, you can't do this kind of work, understand what's going on for them mentally to a degree that we never had that level of insight before, and then say, right, you're done with research and we're, we're going to put you down or send you off to market, right? Yeah. Um, no, the entire experience we had given those pigs had changed their perceptions of how people were going to interact with them, how they would be treated and so on. So, you know, that that sort of puts some limitations on how much of this work we did, because what happens to the end of those animals' research careers is an ethical question that is informed well, yeah. in part by what we find, right? And so we rehomed them all. I was going to say, did you adopt them all? But <laughs> well, Absolutely, absolutely. It was the least we could do for them. <clears throat> there was one pig we lost, he, um, and it was Omelette. He, um, he actually got very ill, um, oh. and he was in pain, and there was no good way to relieve his pain. And so he had to be um, euthanized by... Yeah. Um, uh, the university veterinarian at the time. Um, and it was heartbreaking to make that decision. Bet, yeah. Um, yeah. so I sat with him while that was going on and, 
And I'll tell you again, in a remarkable testament to what these animals are like, he had his belly rubbed, he grunted, he was content up until the point <clears throat> that we let him go. And yeah. um, and then the others went on to um, wonderful sort of retirement facilities. Um, <laughs> Hamlet went to a bed and breakfast that I was sort of envious about. Um, oh. And lived out his life there, and I did keep the um, the two micro pigs um, for another year, year and a half, and then they were retired to children's zoos. Ah, oh. so I mean, like you say, you couldn't really do anything else. I just wanted I wanted to ask you now that we're here and today, because obviously, when it comes to research, it's it's the culmination of years and years of thinking about a subject and. You know, like you say, these animals have almost moved on now from this this study in many ways, and and so today and in the last few days, now that everybody is is kind of talking about it, that must be hugely uh, gratifying for you. The fact that there, there now is so much interest, it, it's wonderful to see it. It really is very very gratifying, and what's what's really nice is the interest that people have shown in the work, and and also the interest in in doing more of this kind of work with pigs but also with other animals that that many of sort of i think don't necessarily think about their mentality and what's going on with them so yeah it's very gratifying to see that that people have received this work this well and that now the comments on the research are really substantive about the methodology the interpretation the what does it actually mean as opposed to you know, how can you even be thinking about this in the context of animal welfare? Um, yeah. You know, what what's your agenda in doing this work? Because, you know, are you trying to ensure that people don't eat pork? Um, those are not the questions people are asking anymore, which is why it's lovely and, and gratifying to get the work out now. Well, I'm so glad that we could uh, talk about it as well, because I think we've been able to dive in slightly deeper than perhaps uh, some of the articles have to find out some of the actually, you know, really groundbreaking research. So thank you so much for talking to us about it. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure to talk with you. And I really appreciate your interest in our work. And that's it. My thanks again to Candace Crony from Purdue University. And the podcast will be back in a couple of weeks with another news update show, another bonus episode for you, looking at why it's just so difficult to buy a PlayStation 5. Don't forget to subscribe to this PigCast. We'd appreciate it. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.